Hello, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Jeff Reimbold Show. Michael, fresh off a trip to uh, Munich. Have you have you recovered from your German experience? Nine, nine. <laughs> I, I have not. I uh, do you know what, Jeff? I think you know, I, I told you this off camera, but uh, I enjoyed it more than the Super Bowl, and I look forward to seeing two to three games minimum next year. I was driving out of to the airport, and there was a huge uh, sign with Travis Kelsey saying, see you soon. So I don't know what that means. I'm not going to speculate, but, you know, it was a big sign. It was a huge success for the NFL. I mean, when, when you think about going to another country, all right, now we've had games this year in England, in Germany, and last night in Mexico City, and every single one of them, outstanding attendance, great crowds. And for you, being over there for the whole week, you really got a feel for how the city really turned into an NFL city. You know, Munich is not the city, you know, Frankfurt, you can understand it a little more, but it really turned into an NFL city with teams not even participating in the game, had bars in town that just became, you know, Eagles bars or Browns bars or whatever. And so obviously there is a incredible appetite for NFL football internationally right now. There is. Um, all the international home marketing teams had their own bars, the Panthers, the Patriots, who weren't even playing, the Bucks and the Chiefs all had their own beer houses. I just want to publicly call you out on this show for a guy that worked with a Ryan Farr in different places in Germany for never telling an Irishman about these beer houses. I mean, Jeff, you nearly got me in trouble, mate. It, it, was, uh, it was a great week and I very much look forward to doing hopefully both Frankfurt and if Munich has a game Munich next year. It was a great experience feel very humbled and privileged to be able to go to the game and uh, hopefully we can do it together next year. I know Neil was missing you over in yeah. Munich as well. Well, we'll see about all that, but right now I want to get to our guest because we have a guy that I've known for a long time, uh, had a chance to actually coach with him for a number of years and uh, known him for longer than that. And uh, first time I met this guy, I don't even think he remembers this, but uh, I was watching a scrimmage between Redskins and the Jets that happened at, I think it was Lehigh University. And uh, our guest, Rich Miano, was playing safety for the, for the uh, Jets at that time. I had had a player named Rocky Cleaver, who was a teammate, uh, and Guy Bingham, teammates of Richie. And that's when I read, met Richie for the first time. So let's welcome in 11-year NFL veteran Rich Miano to the show. Aloha, guys. Uh, great to be on the show, man. That sounds like some, the NFL is uh, expanding, and uh, I hope that's going to be good for my pension in a few more years because it's past, present, and future. <laughs> well, you know what, Rich? It's amazing, you know, when, when uh, as, as your career was coming to an end, the, the NFL had started to go overseas with preseason games, and there was, you know, a little bit of a kind of a, dip their toe into marketing waters internationally, but now they've, they've, you know, dived in full time. And, and it's amazing. 2 million rich, 2 million ticket requests for an 85,000 seat stadium in Munich when the bucks were over there uh, two weeks ago. So obviously, you know, the, the, you know, as well as anybody, the NFL is all about money and you know, there's a huge you know, revenue stream out there waiting to be tapped. Hey, Jeff, you know, even that was a long time ago. I played from 85 to 96, right? 11 years. I got to go to Tokyo. I got to go to London. And those are both preseason games. But 
man, you know me, I'm an international traveler, bro. So I wanted to stay over that whole training camp because there's nothing worse than two days and, you know, the long days and how arduous and how physical and just how, man, how we practice like literally three hours a day, twice a day. Bro, I swear to God, most of the brothers, man, they were happy to get back to the dorms. I wanted to stay over there, bro. I'll eat sushi. I'll eat whatever it takes, man. Hey, you know what? It's it's true because you and uh, you and I share a mutual friend in Brian Baldinger, and Baldy is Mister International. Like he he has tapped football to get him all around the world, and you're not far behind. So I, I know. <laughs> hey, hey, the travel dogs. I travel with them too, bro. And he's with Bruce Springsteen. He's all over the place, bro. But you know what, man? I do love to travel. I'm so glad the game is becoming international. I'm just so glad that the NFL football seems in every aspect in a really good place. Richie, let's talk about your, your football career. Now, obviously, uh, you know, when people hear your accent, that's not a Hawaii accent coming at us, but you, you were born on the East coast and, and uh, migrated your way to Hawaii, played high school football here. And I want, I think this is a great story for the young guys that are listening out there about you know self-belief and perseverance and what can actually happen if you are willing to work for your dream rich you went from being a walk-on at the university of hawaii to a free agent and playing 11 years in the national football league you know let's let's unpack some of that talk to me about that whole big Hey, Jeff, here's the deal, right? The only difference between me and Kurt Warner is he's in the Hall of Fame. He was a quarterback and he was a great player, right? Because I only played high school football one season. I was a diver. Ron Lee and Cal Lee, who anybody that knows Hawaii high school football, greatest coaches in history, they both should have statues in front of, you know, the new Aloha Stadium. I was a senior and they, I was on the diving team and those dudes just kept begging me to come off of the football team. And, you know, we ended up, Winning the state championship, I ended up making all state. I had two interceptions in the uh, in the prep bowl in front of thirty one thousand people at Aloha Stadium, and um, I still had zero offers, zero interest. The University of Hawaii didn't even want me to walk on. I wasn't academically eligible. I had to take two summer school classes and get a three to even academically qualify. But when I showed up for training camp, I promise you, there was no list. I, there was no housing, there was no uniforms, there was no food, there was no nothing. And so basically they weren't planning on me coming and I don't think they wanted me to come, you know? And then, you know, fast forward five years later, bro, I get drafted in the sixth round. Um, you know, we won a bunch of games. We played Oklahoma, we played Nebraska, we played Iowa. We, uh, we, we were blessed, man. And um, it, it is storybook-like, but even the NFL became quite a story. You know what, you, you put a picture on Twitter the other day that I looked at it and I was like, wow, that huddle that you stepped into, that had, you had some dogs on that football. Jeff, you know, here's the deal, right? Everybody talks about like, you know, here we are, what, I don't know, 30, 40 years later and how players are bigger, stronger, faster, better, everything else. Like, whoa, whoa, let's slow down a little bit because Falanico Nunga, might have been the most explosive athlete I ever seen and dom dominated Dean Steinkuhler and Dave Remington and those guys and had a great NFL career. Colin Scotts came from Australia, first Australian ever play in the NFL other than kicker, punter, whatever else. You know, 
we had guys like the Confences brothers who got drafted and, you know, had a cup of tea and stuff. And then the CFL legends of Elvis Satelli, Anthony Woodson. I mean, man, I'll tell you what, if that University of Hawaii football team this year, last year, 2006, 2007, is more physically talented than that defense right there, I'd be surprised. Okay, Rich, now, you guys obviously, um, you know, played at a different time. And you played for a guy named Dick Tomey, who was a legend. You know, he was on Coach Vermeil's staff at UCLA, came to Hawaii, and actually ushered in a new era in Hawaii football because there was a time where Hawaii played the most crazy schedule. You'd play, you know, Oklahoma one week and Whitworth a week later. And, I mean, it's like it was all over the map. And you, you got in the WAC, the Western Athletic Conference, and that was really the beginning of Hawaii football becoming big time. It was, Jeff. And you know what? Dick Tomey was a heck of a speaker, a heck of a leader. He was diminutive, but you talk about command of everything and anything. He was a defensive guy. He was a special teams guy. You know, June Jones happened to be on that staff, though, in 1983. And that was my introduction to June Jones. And so I was blessed with that as well. And just, you know, I had Dwayne Aquino, who's now at uh, Stanford, was at Arizona, was at Texas. He's, He's coached some of the greatest defensive backs in the NFL. You know, I, I look at this, like I had Terry Alpern as my strength coach, the first man in the world to throw the shot put 70 feet. How do you take a slow white safety that's probably a 4'9 guy and make him a 4'5 guy? How do you get him bigger, stronger, faster? You do it because we were doing what they called Eastern Block training stuff. Now it's called plyometrics. Now it's called explosive training, whatever, before anybody in the country was. So, you know, I always look at it as like these, the only reason Rich Miano and many other guys from our, you know, kind of state or our team, University of Hawaii, was because we had these people in, in our lives. You never do something on your own, but and I don't want to patronize, like, but Dick Tomey was a good DB coach, even though he's head coach. Bob Wagner was a good DB coach. Dwayne Aquino was a good DB coach. Terry Albert was a great strength coach. And I was surrounded by great people. Well, Go to the Jets, draft in the sixth round, go to the Jets, and you run into uh, one of the all-time great defensive coaches in the history of the National Football League. Um, and I just remember the first time I met Bud, I was in St. Louis when he was working for Coach Vermeil. It was minicamp, and Bud is smoking in the elevator in the hotel. I mean, he had a lit cigarette going in the elevator in the hotel. He smoked, I don't know how many packs a day, but what a tremendous football mind. Jeff, another confluence, right, in my life, but you're exactly right. We'd be watching game films, and you know how that goes on a Monday after a Sunday game. You make a mistake, you do something wrong. That dude's seeing 11 people, and I don't care if you're a six, seven, you're Mark Gasno, Joe Klecko, Reggie White, Jerome Brown, Clyde Simmons, Eric Allen, uh, Andre Waters, Wes Hopkins, Seth Joyner. I don't care who you are everybody's afraid of this little chain smoking uh, coach who to me should be in the hall of fame of defensive coaches. Cause it's still curtain. It's the Rams when they were good on defense years and years ago. And then at the Eagles, we were number one against the run number one against the pass number one overall that still hasn't been done 17 years prior to this day, we were dominant on defense. And it was all because this little diminutive chain smoking that dude would like, be cussing everybody out, smoking cigarettes, watching film and fall asleep. Nobody would say anything because they hoped that the film kept running until he burnt himself and caught himself on fire. <laughs> now, 
when when you played for Bud and you go to the Jets, now you use some names. Drop a few of those names on some folks that, that you lined up in the huddle at the Jets. Dude, so, yeah, so that's a sack exchange, right? I get then got Mark Gasno, Joe Klecko, Marty Lyons, and then you got guys like on offense, Wesley One-Eyed Walker. You got Johnny Lamb Jones, fresh off a of gold medal. You got Freeman McNeil. And, you know, you have New York City. I'm coming from a walk-on, you know, to Honolulu, Hawaii, to the Big Apple. And I'll tell you what, Jeff, I get cut on the last cut. Now, don't forget, 1985, let's go back in time. USFL had just folded. We had about 155 guys in training camp. I was seventh string, bro. I was just hoping to eat every flavor of Dan and yogurt before they cut me. And you know what? They sent me back to Hawaii on the last cut. So I fly 6,000 miles back to Hawaii because I got cut. They called me the next morning on my birthday, September 3rd, to tell me they reclaimed me after Houston and Jerry Glanville tried to pick me up, but they had first right of refusal. I fly all the way back to New York. And I, the next day, we play the Raiders in Los Angeles on Saturday. I play. I come back. The next week against Vince Ferragamo and the Buffalo Bills, I got two interceptions. I'm leading the AFC, bro. I got cut a week earlier, and I flew 18,000 miles for my dream to come true. And there was a New York Times article, Jeff, said that they don't allow pilots to fly 18,000 miles in six days. And you got two picks off an 18,000-mile trip. I got two picks. I'm leading the AFC, bro. My, I'm living my dream, and I'm making, you know, six figures. Uh, I love it. I love it. It was a different NFL back in those days. And you played a position that has really changed with the game, right? Because when you were playing, obviously, the hits that went on in the middle of the field are diametrically different than the hits defensive players are allowed to make today. How many guys that you played with would have a hard time playing today with today's rules? Jeff, I ain't kidding you. I remember one time they called me up and they go like, we're going to work on toss 38 and toss 39. And we're going to have a pulling guard, Jim Sweeney this way. And I forgot who it was the other way. I think Joe Fields. But I took every rep of like a 10 minute period where all I did was force the run. I went to bed that night with my head like this. And I couldn't even like lie down in bed because I swear to God, I took about 30 reps of trying to like force like, you know, and just, 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 you know, you're getting horizontal, you're laying out, and you're just going head to head, you know, for 15 minutes. And that was like, we practiced with pads every single day of two a days. We had two a days every single day. When you tell young people this, they think it's like, yeah, you guys walked up 20 miles of snow to, you know, Mount Everest <laughs> to go to school and things like that. But that game was violent, man. And I'm not saying there's not violent hits now, Jeff, but there was violent hits in practice every single day, every single game. Chuck Cecil was pictured on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Is this man too tough to play in the NFL? You know, blood coming down his face and whatever else, and walking to the wrong huddle, to the neutral corner. You know, it. I appreciate these guys. I respect the toughness of the game, Jeff. But I'm not sure too many people would want to do it for $150,000, you know, that we were making in those days. Well, you know, you think about it. Like, you, you talked about Chuck and, you know, Ronnie Lott. And, you know, I mean, there were some – guys that it was Steve Atwater it was different in the middle of the field back in those days and you know like you think about it Wagner at Pittsburgh I mean it, the safety was an enforcer position 
And now it, it's not that way anymore. You can't, you don't get, you, you know, those are penalty hits now. Those are ejection hits. Those are $30,000 a hit hits. Jeff, and I remember during college, I had like eight hits of the game my junior year. I had like, I had like nine my senior year and I would come with the head. We had those bike helmets that you could just blow up on the inside. Feel like you could run through that concrete that's behind you in the, at the University of Hawaii. But you know what? I remember one time we're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, bro. And Christian Okoya breaks up the middle unscathed and I'm playing free safety. That was the first time in my life that I sidestepped somebody, tried to make an arm tackle. He ran right through my arms. Jerry Stickman Holmes, number 47, came and broke his ribs, tried to make like a cross body tackle. Russell Carter, the eighth pick for the draft, tripped him up and, and tackled him on about the eight yard line. But I was thinking if I would have just slowed him down, Jerry wouldn't have broke his ribs, man. But we had Christian Okoya. We had guys like Ernest Biner and Kevin Mack on Cleveland. You had some guys now that could flat out run and were big and large and physical. Now you go, you, you leave the jet. And before we leave the Jets, so I want to I want to just explain what it's like in New York. The rivalry, it's almost a turf war between the Giants and the Jets because the fan bases are now correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the Giants are the old school fans the maybe a little wealthier. The Jets are kind of the bad side of town, Shea Stadium, all of that. So is there really a difference in the in the two fan bases yeah there's a difference right and the thing about it is you look at like we go into the Meadowlands all they did was like put some green like stuff around whatever the, our locker room was not as good as the Giants we felt like stepchildren to the Giants but Jeff that first year in 1985 we're 10 and 1 we're on the cover of Sports Illustrated we're, we're going to playoffs and they're good too. So the battle of New York was on. And I just, again, came 6,000 miles away from Hawaii, but to appreciate what you're talking about is the old school fans, the giants been around forever. A lot of championships, jets are more new school, long Island, you know, different part of kind of New York. It, it was different, man, but it was kind of, and we'd be opposite one week. We're at, we're at the Meadowlands next week, the giants are and stuff. But when we played them in the preseason, or if we ever had a scheduled game with them during the regular season, it was on. And that's LT. That's Mark Bavaro. That's the days where you, you look, uh, Harry Carson, Lawrence Taylor. I mean, I, I can continue to name a bunch of uh, Giants guys, but they were legit. Okay, now, you get to Philly, and you're going to talk. Now, Philly fan is not a knock on Philly. It's just a reality. You go to the you go to Veterans Stadium, and the the turf is legendary for being bad. They got a police depot inside the stadium for drunk, so they can put the drunk fans in in the in the huskow during the game. the The offices were like the legend is that there were rats in the offices. It wasn't really oh, that man. bad. No, yeah. So, you know, I go from New York to Philadelphia. New York, there's everything. There's Broadway. There's different sports. Whatever. You go to the Philadelphia Eagles. You talk about WIP talk radio. I remember Reggie White coming in and say, hey, Rich, I just drove all the way in from because we didn't live in Philly. We lived in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. We just came over the bridge. And he told me about how he came in and listened to how my haircut. I was spotted at this club on a Friday night. And I mean, they would talk about you. And I remember the first year, Jeff, the holes were small. 
Because if we had Reggie White, Jerome Brown, Clyde Simmons, whatever else, so as a safety, you could just fill it. The quarterback was going to give you one read, and you didn't have to worry about looking off. And I, I got rated like an A minus, and I was like doing well, three interceptions, 60, 70 tackles, whatever else. Next year when them dudes were gone, I went down to a D. You know, the quarterbacks are looking you off. Holes were like this big, whatever else. It was a different game playing back there safety, man, without Reggie White, Jerome Brown, Clyde Simmons, Eric, all them dudes, bro. But Byron Evans, Seth Jordan. But I'll tell you what, if you ever have played in Philadelphia, you know what scrutiny is. These fans think they, they're all coaches. They're all they, – they boot Santa Claus. They throw snowballs at you. I mean, there's a jail, like you said, in, in the stuff. There's no tougher place in America to play than in Philadelphia. Okay, now let, let's let's talk about the, the Eagles while, while I got you. And, you know, right now there are – I heard I looked at a program this morning, and Herman Edwards says he thinks the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. Certainly they've got to be up there. Jalen Hurts is having a tremendous year. They're physical on both sides of the ball. What's your take on this Eagles team as an ex-Eagle? Well, you know, first of all, I agree with what you just said in terms of the uh, the maturation of Jalen Hurts has been huge because he has a tremendous work ethic. He's a he's a weight room guy. He's a study guy. He's got that uh, you know that that it factor, and you knew he was going to get better. But you talk about the offensive line and the defensive line and the physicality of it, stopping the run, especially in December and in playoff times, and being able to run the football, Jordan Mailata and all those guys. You look at this team and you go like, you know what? They got what it takes to be the representative in the NFC. Now, I'm a 49ers fan, too, and we can get to that later. But I do think they're for real. I do think they can run the ball. I think Jalen can extend plays. He's gotten so much more accurate. Seems like he's, his knowledge of the offense is command, pre-snap, post-snap. I, I, I think they're for real, and it, they should be the front runner in the NFC. And you know what? I'm going to start wearing my Eagle stuff around real soon. All right, now, jump over to the AFC. Talk about the, you know, the team you represented in the AFC, the Jets. Robert Salas done a phenomenal job. Jeff Ulrich, who played here at Hawaii, is, is the defensive coordinator. Great job. You saw the game last week with, uh, with you know, New England, and, and their defense was, you know, outstanding. But, but there's a big, you know, qualifier when you talk about the Jets. Is the quarterback, is Zach Wilson? good enough rich you know and, and i'm a quarterback apologist bro and i've been right on tua i've been right on chevin cadero i'm going to be right on Braden shager at the university of hawaii and i've been wrong on some as well and i don't need vindication i don't need to be you know people to tell me like hey by the way yeah you were right on tua you were right on chevin cadero who's another university of hawaii quarterback but I, i'll tell you what the thing zach capono wilson he's got a little hawaiian blood in him and i don't want to disparage him but when you look at his college career, the games he played against big-time opponents, he was not successful. I, and I don't think he has that arm strength nor the leadership, you know, that answer, you know, in terms of on the podium saying most quarterbacks, I don't care if it's Aaron Rodgers, I don't care who it is, Tom Brady, whatever else, they're going to say, I played terrible, but we all need to get better. But they're going to put the blame on themselves. And as a quarterback, to me, you get too much credit when you win and too much blame when you lose, but you need to take that. And if you don't in New York, I think that press conference alone, he could be done. And we're getting into the colder weather without that strong arm, without that knowledge of the offense. It ain't all his fault, Jeff, as we all know. But will he last in New York? 
I have a feeling that his tenure is going to be quick because they got a defense. They got a nice Quentin Williams, maybe one of the best players in football. They've got, like you say, Jeff Hubbard got those guys playing on defense. Robert Sala, they're pretty decent on special teams, but the quarterback seems to be the missing ingredient. And I don't, you know, I still think that quarterbacks need more time. I hate to give up on young quarterbacks. They see him every day. I don't, but they need to make that decision if he's not, doesn't have the intangibles. Well, I'm going to call, I'm going to call it the Joe Namath curse because really, man, Richard, Todd, Richard Todd flirted with greatness for a little bit when he was with the Jets, but the Jets historically have struggled. Chad Penn, the best you got, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, Sanchez couldn't get it done. I mean, Sam Darnold couldn't get it done. There've been a long line of guys with the Jets that can't seem to get it done. And, you know, there's not been a Joe Namath since Joe Namath, not even close in New York. And I think that's one of the reasons why that franchise has has struggled. Yeah, Jeff. And, you know, if you take Patrick Mahomes and you go through Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and you get to about seven or eight Joe Burrow and and uh, Herbert and whatever else, you may stop right about there and then go Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, whatever else. And then you got like a middle group and then maybe you got some bottom feeders or whatever. The problem in the NFL is I don't know if you're winning championships without a great quarterback. I think that position is obviously the most important position in all of sports. And if you don't get the right one, you can flirt with playoffs and all that kind of stuff, but to win a championship. But the problem is, is you always got to look to the draft, right? It looks like this is a quarterback heavy draft, but at the same time, until you get that right guy, because I like Sanchez. I like Sam Donald. I like a lot. I like Kirk Cousins. I like Derek Carr, 4,000 yards and less than 10 interceptions. But there's more to that position, as we all know, but there's very few great ones. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot now. Okay? You talked about your 49ers. We watched them last night. I thought they were outstanding on offense. Jimmy G, four touchdown passes. He's a much maligned guy. But you know what, Rich? You look at it and you really look at it. Why is he maligned? Well, he missed Emmanuel Sanders by a yard and a half in the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. He's been um, But when that all team, I think the 49ers are as good as anybody in football. Dude, I, I agree, Jeff. And, I, you know, obviously I have a great relationship with Jesse Sapolo, so I go up to some games. I want him to be successful because he should be – I think he will enter the 49ers Hall of Fame and uh, spokesperson for our brand, the Polynesian Bowl brand. But the more I see, like, Kyle Shanahan's ability – to me, genius in the run game in terms of getting numbers, in terms of, you know, doing some things. And that one year where they were running on everybody else and for whatever reason didn't win the Super Bowl that year. But you go back to Jimmy Garoppolo. To me, the intangible of leadership and players wanting to play for you, he's off the charts. He doesn't seem to throw the ball in deep, you know, comeback routes. He doesn't seem to have a cannon or whatever else. But they seem to love to play for him. He seems to have that charisma. He seems to be a great leader. I don't know how you pl- replace that unless trade Lance and they get to see him every day is a budding superstar. I think Garoppolo stays with this team and hopefully they advance throughout the playoffs. And like you said, if he wins the Super Bowl, it's kind of a no brainer, but if he doesn't and you can't pay two quarterbacks, but you got the young kids still on the rookie contract. Uh, there ain't nothing wrong with, a, with having two quarterbacks on your roster. And there ain't nothing wrong with Jimmy G being the guy. I, I love the guy, bro, personally. I think I'm so that, – that's why I'm a quarterback apologist, Jeff, because you and I have been around this game a long time. And we know that 
protection, route running. And, you know, I broke down all the interceptions that your guy threw a couple weeks ago. And anyone that puts every intercept, I mean, you can have a tip ball and they blame the quarterback. At the end of the day, you got three interceptions. Okay, it was right in the, you know, underneath the chin of the receiver, but he dropped it and then somebody else caught. I don't know. I'll be a quarterback apologist for the rest of my life because I realize how hard it is. And when you have a good one, be careful about moving off them. And you're right about the curse too, bro. It's got to be the Joe Namath curse because they've been through a lot of guys, bro. Hey, you know what? Um, you are you are involved in football's been a big part of your life, and you continue to give back to the game. And you know you've you worked with the Hula Bowl. You've been in, instrumental in saving that game. But talk out or talk to the listeners and viewers, Richie, about what you do with the Polynesian Bowl. As a Hawaii kid, obviously, you were a teammate with some tremendous Polynesian players. You've watched how this, you know, I, I don't say a blossom of Polynesian talent has come into the NFL. I think it's more like a, you know, a, a thunderstorm of Polynesian players now playing in the National Football League. Every, you, every time you put on a Division One FBS game, you're seeing Polynesian kids playing all over the country. What what is the, what has the Polynesian Bowl done, and where's your where's the, your end? Where's your long term vision for the game? Yeah, it's interesting, Jeff, because this year, January twentieth, right, we're on NFL Network primetime on the East Coast, so we we'll get you know. I, I just think that this brand and the brand ambassadors, which I'm not one of, but I'm in the operational part of this, and I'm in a lot of other uh, aspects that have uh, offshoots of this brand. It's done more almost. For, I hate to say more than anything else, you know, you got the Polynesian Voyaging Society, you got a whole bunch of things that, you know, are really great about this culture. But these are football playing, hardworking, great people, great culture. And this brand and to have that Polynesian Hall of Fame at PCC and have millions of people see that, to have this game on national television, to have our showcase combines, to have our classics in Las Vegas, we're going to IMG this year, and having two different combines to have all the things we have uh, with this brand. It just, to me, is probably one of the things I'm most proud of just to be part of this organization. Because when I listen to Jesse Sapolo, Maa Tanavasa, Troy Paramalu, uh, Marcus Mariota, Tua Tonga Vailoa, some of these guys, man, Olin Krutz, and you, you see the vision, the passion they have to expand this brand in a positive way. To, to help their culture and their people become, like you say, trying to make it to that next level, trying to pay it forward, trying to become coaches, trying to uh, just uh, get educations and stuff. It is, to me, something that is done the right way with great people. And uh, to see it blossom, to see it metamorphose into this big brand has been wonderful. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with this one. All right. I need you to pick. You don't even have to pick the champion, but I want, I need you to Who's going to represent AFC and who's going to re represent the NFC in the Super Bowl come February? I'm going with the Buffalo Bills, man. I, I, I think if the overtime rules were different last year, they'd still be playing because you couldn't stop Josh Allen. You can't stop Patrick Mahomes. And it was a coin flip, right? And I still think they're going to get back to that level because as Rex Ryan said, uh, a guy that, you know, I know well, very well and you, well, what's the difference when it comes down to critical situations, when it comes down to red zone, when you have a six foot six, 240 pound quarterback, I think Josh Allen gets it done. And I'm going to go in the NFC. I'm going to go with 
the 49ers just because I think they have enough weapons. They play good on defense. So I think that would be a phenomenal Super Bowl. But how can you say no to Patrick Mahomes? And you got to think the Eagles are the odds on favorite, and that's my team. So I don't want to be a sellout. So I'm trying to hedge my bet a little bit. Richie, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. It's been a blast as always. And, and again, thank you for all you do for football everywhere. Appreciate you, Jeff, and yeah, continue to do a great job at the University of Hawaii, man. Let's get a win this weekend. All right. That's Richie, 11-year veteran safety from the, from the NFL for the Jets, for the Eagles, and for the Atlanta Falcons.